are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Howdy, happy Friday, greetings, welcome to the Steve Dace Show podcast here, powered by CRTV. My name is Steve Dace. We have a full house here with us in studio today. Todd and Aaron are here as always, but uh, since it's Friday and we just finished the Dace Group Roundtable, Kim is here with us as well. Let's get a quick little preview for those of you that have not yet used promo code Dace over at CRTV.com to get a hold of our television show. And don't forget, you can, uh, for just 10 bucks a month, you get every show on CRTV. Uh, You can also get an annual subscription that uh, is given to you at a reduced rate if you use that promo code Dace. You get a free trial, so if you try it, Mikey, and Life Serial's not for you. That's a reference from back in the day. You can move on and and spend that money elsewhere. We believe in a meritocracy here at CRTV. So CRTV.com, promo code DACE is how you can watch today's DACE Group Roundtable, which is our little homage we do every Friday uh, to the late uh, John McLaughlin's McLaughlin Group, which aired for many years at PBS. I used to watch it almost every week during a certain uh, politically... Uh, enthusiastic time in my life. Loved the show, the format. We've copied it completely. I mean, it's not even an homage, actually. It's a complete and total ripoff of John's program, right down to the graphics and the and the music. <laughs> All right, but we love doing it, the roundtable every Friday, so use that promo code DACE at CRTV.com so you can watch it today as well. Let's go around the room, get a quick preview of uh, what's to come later today on that television show. Todd, I'll start with you. What stood out to you today? Well, segment uh, one of the McLaughlin group, Aaron had it exactly right in his analysis that this is why we fail. You will see two committed people of uh, the right. One committed in a way that stands on the very principles that this country and conservatism were founded upon where no, no matter what, not as a respecter of, a per, as, of persons, but as a respecter of principle. That doesn't always lead to wins, but you stand in them because they are good and right and just, and you leave the outcomes to God. The other one, very much, 100% in his mind and heart, is committed to conservatism, but simply will not follow the principles wherever they lead. Just won't pulls his punches over and over and over again. I'll let you decide who that is. Aaron, what stood out to you? Yeah, also the first, also the first segment, and uh, I don't want to give away, um, give away anything. Uh, but I, I think we saw an example of, uh, let's say, yeah, let's let's say uh, we we saw an example of a I don't know a left tackle in football completely committed to the team but is just does not have uh, is not using his tools is letting the defensive end sack the quarter that's that's basically that's what a great we, analogy what mm-hmm. what we saw totally committed to the team but just not using the tools properly that's that's what we saw at the beginning of the day's group and it should it should make it should make you angry it really should if you are a committed conservative 
Kim. I'm going to go to the second question. Um, we did Hillary a solid. I mean, we we told her pretty blank, point blank what happened. That she's a condescending whack job. Indeed. And she keeps reminding us. She does. As, as Todd put it today when I asked him, why does she hang around? His answer, she's a terrible person, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> we should have just... Boom. That's on. it. Next question. All right. Um, let's get to uh, the feedback. It is a Feedback Friday. So Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. And this is where we take a podcast each week, try to get to as much feedback as we possibly can. And I'm overloaded on feedback. So I'm going to try to get through as many of these as I can during this segment. And I mean it this time. I mean, I'm really going to try to get through as many of these as I can. All right. That means we're getting through three. (laughs) Bob Evendine in Pennsylvania says, you know, I get a little bit bored with your kibitzing from time to time. Now, I'm reading, Bob. Normally, this is the kind of note I would respond to privately, you know, but I just wanted to say kibitzing. I love that word. It's, It's one of those words. It's a Yiddish word, right? It's one of those words that just doesn't get used enough anymore. Like, I look for ways to throw in chutzpah. I like, like that verklempt. Word. I love verklempt, <laughs> but I like hotspot. I like the, I, it, it makes my hotspot. mouth feel good to say that word. Hotspot. You're like a it. mensch for thinking so, Thank Steve. There we go. Touch them all, as Dick Enberg used to say on those Saturday <laughs> games of the week on NBC. We've hit them all now, right? We, we've done, this is the Yiddish Grand Slam. We just <laughs> pulled it off here on CRTV. I think we need cultural sensitivity training. <laughs> Look what you've inspired, Bob. Uh, Bob coming. says, I get a bit bored. You're kibitzing from time to time, but I love your substance and rationale for what is up with Twump. When you stick to the meat, you are great. We have a long road ahead. Uh, indeed we do, Bob. Indeed we do. And thank you for using kibbutz and the kibitzing keeps us sane so we're not losing that no kibitzing i said kibbutz i meant kibitzing thank you for correcting me pete d'antonio writes i know kid rock's eventual or evangelical campaign message upon this rock i will build my church (laughs) oh (laughs) what do you think pete that's brilliant what do you think Babylon. Uh, you guys okay with that? That's oh, ba- yeah. That is Babylon it B worthy, is. actually. Yep. He also goes on to say, I just want to let you know, as a 26-year-old, it's been a breath of fresh air to hear someone under 50 provide a modern biblical perspective on current events. After years of having the opposite worldview surrounding me in college, your show helps to provide some clarity through the relativism BS. Thank you, Pete. We appreciate that. And mad props on upon this rock I will build my church for Kid Rock that is he's got a t-shirt yeah that that's a t-shirt yeah that's awesome Joy in Boise Idaho where they got a big win last night by the way on the blue turf there uh, in Boise just got done listening to yesterday's podcast uh, or Wednesday or I'm sorry nine, the 9-11 podcast you guys did on Monday I was welling up with emotion and tears by the end I too have memories that will never go away in the end, though, you are right. We either want it to be different or we don't. And I'm so hoping and praying the church will rise up and want things to be different. And what Joy is alluding to is we pointed out uh, part of our 9-11 remembrance here on the podcast on Monday, if you missed it, is I don't even think. And Kim, you weren't here. So let me ask you the question, because Todd and Aaron and I, we discussed this prevalently on Monday. But I don't even think it's debatable that we have less unity and less liberty as a people than we did prior to 9-11. Absolutely. We have less. So therefore, we, it looks like we learned all the wrong lessons. It did. Yeah. And in some respects, not the body count of dead terrorists we have beautifully uh, collected since 9-11 aside. Could it be said in, in some respects they actually won then? Yes. 
I mean, we we have the body count edge. You know what I'm trying to say? It's a little bit like a football. Let me use another football analogy. We're winning the game in terms of total yardage, right? We're greatly outgaining the opponent. But you look up on the scoreboard and you're like, yeah, this. Why are we behind? Or this game shouldn't be this close. That kind of uh, uh, that is that a good analogy of what's going on? I mean, we're winning the game. We're winning the body count game, right? I mean, we we have introduced a lot of those people to the in, in the ingloriousness of hell and the fact that there weren't 40 vestal virgins waiting there for them we've, we've we've introduced them countless names and bodies but on the corporate scorecard of culture are we winning Tom? Well, or is it at least is it too is it is it closer than it should be given the body count edge? i think our culture's reaction post 9-11 is ultimately proving what you've long, and I mean long, said to me true. I, I remember you uh, fleshing this out as as much as I do anything, and so we're we're going back a decade. But when often after times like this, people will say to themselves, "Man, we we need to come together as a people before it's too late." And you said, "When these things happen, it is often because it is already." Too late. They are happening because you are under judgment. And now, as you just got done saying yesterday, you are reaping it. And perhaps that means this was all. There was never really a choice. The culture that, yeah, of course, rallied with candlelight vigils and a, a, a good feelings temporarily post 9-11 was always short of uh, a genuine miracle was always going to go this direction, and that is why 9-11 happened to some extent. God's divine hand had been pulled back. Uh, Professor David McGinley says, I've been trolling the comments section over at uh, Breitbart and have noticed a new sickness that is starting to overwhelm a certain segment of the American citizenry the past 36 hours, battered Trump syndrome. Its main symptom is a strained cognitive dissonance rationalizing the blatant betrayal by President Trump. You guys want to comment on that? What's the reaction you guys have seen, by the way? Because I've kind of given up looking at internet reaction because I think we learned in the last election, you guys, that's why you hear me say this all the time, America is not Twitter. But what do you guys say? I've seen reaction on our Facebook page, on uh, your, your Facebook page. Um, most of the time, if there is a Trump supporter, they will continue to say something like, don't care, Hillary, you know, uh, better than Hillary. It's still the same, better than Hillary. But those reactions are getting less and less all the time. Um, most of what I most of what I see is either silence or people. I saw Matt Walsh. I think it was Matt Walsh tweet yesterday. I've got a lot of people contacting me privately saying uh, they're done with Trump. So I think, and that that would make sense if you're going to admit um, that you're conned or um, something similar to that. Uh, it's you're probably more likely to admit that privately than uh, out in public. And Kim, what have you seen? I see um, people being less likely to defend defend Donald Trump. And um, I get what you're saying, Aaron. That it, you know more people are silently doing that. You know you don't have Ann Coulter going out there and doing all that. But most people are just they're resigned that he uh, you know is a fraud. 
I haven't had a conversation with the kind of the, the people I consider touchstones on that uh, in the last couple of weeks. And we mentioned this on the show a while back. Uh, you asked me because we were talking out there about them. I mean, these are guys I really like. Uh, I mean, th- th- you can count on them. They're solid people. Uh, and Aaron is right. Their default then, and if it still ex- exists, I'd imagine it would be now, that it, it is a the better than Hillary thing is the bottom line for a lot of them. I mean, they they won't sit there and rationalize or excuse his specific act, actions, which is funny. It, every one action, as bad as they are, they won't rationalize that. It's just, a, but then you put all the bad reactions together, and then it should. You think it should be a deal breaker, and the sh- shoulder shrug still comes. Just thank God it's not Hillary. Yep. Let's continue. Um, See, I lost my place. Sorry about that. Uh, here we go. Carl and Fran. I, I like these when people um, have. Well, I just did a sermon at our church that there's no such thing as constructive criticism. <laughs> Whenever someone says, "Hey, do you mind if I give you some?" The answer is, "Our our our mind is saying no, but our mouths tend to say yes." Right? Okay. <laughs> but this is an earnest attempt to provide some. All right. So this is from Carl and Fran. CRTV has so much to offer. You guys are, by all means, our favorite show. I was wondering if you guys um, ever watch the show after it is uh, goes to air for viewers. As someone who's worked in television, in production, and in our, on-air programming, I've noticed a few things I'd like to bring to your attention. First of all, the new monitor you have added to the set is wonderful for close-ups of uplinked guests and video. However, it is, it is, however, reflecting you, your computer, and the time segment countdown clock. It's very distracting. With your message so important, we want to concentrate and what you and your guests are saying. You might also want to consider moving your two books from the right side of Todd's computer and place them in front of your computer and to the right. They were in perfect placement for the shows before the TV monitor was added. I think they think that might actually help with the reflection they were concerned about. Is that maybe why they think we should move the books? Uh, thank you for your team and all you do. Your message is vital for today's America. All right, so Aaron, you're the producer over here. What do you think of their suggestions? Yeah, I don't know why we're talking about this right now, but uh, I, I actually have looked into, I, I have noticed the reflection on the monitor, and um, I have looked into some screens or something that we can put uh, put over the top of that. So I am looking into it. You have to understand some of these changes take place i mean you guys saw the tv that thing was in here for like two weeks before we finally had it had everything we needed so some of these changes take place over a long period of time yeah sure we can move the books uh as well uh also i've had a number of people uh this is actually a change i just made yesterday i finally finally got a second opinion on this and i changed up some microphone settings and i think it sounds better oh. i just gotten i just gotten used to it and uh so that's a new change uh and that wasn't even on there i just i just gave myself some uh some uh constructive criticism <laughs> well done uh let's see what what else was there do we watch the show after it's done uh yes especially when i tell stories that make uh todd and steve um hang their mouths open like i did yesterday uh, but yeah, uh, every night, no- uh, probably once once a week or so, I'll I'll watch the show, and I always see things like, oh, it would be cool to add that. It would be cool to add that. I love the monitor. Uh, I think the monitor makes this thing really pop. I think I think it is true though that it needs some sort of screen or film over the top of it, uh, and I think there's some stuff that we can get uh, that that will. I wonder if they notice it because they're pros. Because this is the kind of thing, if it was prevalent, I would have had 25 emails. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like I can. I always know when something's wrong with the podcast or it didn't get posted. Something because I'm I get 25 emails right away. So I wonder if they noticed that because they're pros. Because this is the kind of thing. If it was a prevalent distraction, I would have heard about this long before now. Yeah, and mo- by, by the way, most of the time, if if I get an if I get an email or I get a tweet or I get something forwarded along to me uh, about a change, I'll I'll read it. I won't respond to it because. Usually, I don't want to. I don't want to set the premise that I'm going to respond to every single person's uh, little OCD moment. But if it becomes a big of a deal, then then we usually do make a change. <laughs> or it's just your shut-in status reaching out into this aspect of your life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that, but <laughs> be proud of it. I've not. I yeah, know. I just I and, and sometimes. Okay, most of the time. I just don't care enough. But if it becomes <laughs> <laughs> if it becomes a big enough deal, then then you'll make me care. It was nice constructive criticism it by, was. by Carl and Fran. It I was. liked it. That's yeah. why I wanted to share it. It was a good yep. model of how to do this in the future. If you so also d- decide to go down the same the road. Reflecting. Yeah. You have noticed it uh-huh. too? Okay. Um, Ferris, who has a really cool name. Uh, Ferris says, Wednesday's edition of Fake News or Not, as much as I love this segment, was a bit different. It started off well enough with the clip taken from Hillary Clinton's interview with Vox and all the preposterous lies that one might expect to go with it. But that cut to you and Todd back in the studio with the mystified, bemused grins on your faces made me laugh out loud. I could no longer pay any further attention to Clinton and her nonsense. I I tried to replay the segment from the beginning to see what I missed, but that failed to help as I continued to laugh out loud again. That was just excellent. It was brilliant. I agree with Ferris. I it, laughed so hard with that. There's there's only two responses, as I said yesterday. If we're not cutting ourselves over what's happening, then we just have to make fun of it. It's just so over the top ridiculous. It is. That's why. That's why I made fun of it on HLN yesterday, and I had planned. You could see my initial plan in the CNN clip that we put on the TV show is I initially went down the right. exact same road. Right. I was just going to make fun of it. Until Ben decided he was going to try to build his CMA, C, CNN resume tape or get his 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 uh, his, his, his contributor contract uh, you know re-upped by making me his uh, numbers USA proxy. No. Now that and you mention it, that go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. And 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 you're the you're the one who's not nice, Steve. Just just so you know. Yes. Yeah. After all of that. Now that you mentioned, we didn't discuss this on. We discussed a lot about this on the television, but we did discuss that that is what really, I think, he didn't know what he was going to do on that segment, but that's what drives him nuts. That you're the one that can say, I'm out. I'm not playing this game. And on some level, he knows, I've got to play the game. If I don't have the game, that, what, what, what else do I have? Precious, precious, precious. That's what got him. Uh, you know, I used to, I, you feel that pressure to play the game when they, when they give you these platforms. And then... Someone whose opinion I respect a lot. And, you know, strategically through the course of my life, God has put men in my life to function in the role of the father I never really had growing up. And I mentioned to him, we were having an accountability get, uh, breakfast, actually. And I, I mentioned I was just beginning to do more of these TV hits and things of that nature. And I just, I felt like this pressure to, you know, and I was like, I don't know where this pressure is coming from because they're not. It's not like producers are telling me, "Hey, lighten it up." Mod-. I felt this like internal. Well, now I'm in the. This is the big leagues. I gotta, you know, act like I'm a, you know, major leaguer and everything. And and I'm like, but where is this coming from? Because I didn't get these opportunities by behaving this way. So now that I've now that I've made it this far, why do I feel this pressure to become something different than what got me to where I'm at? And he looked at me and he said, you know. 
If they wanted somebody else, guess what they would have done? Asked somebody right. else. Okay? So just be yourself. And I think sometimes we just need people in our lives to give us permission to do that. Now that doesn't now this isn't one of those Disney believe in yourself messages and people are basically good. That's not what I mean. But what I mean by that though. You're not is, Tony Robbins now? Yeah, yeah not, not what I mean by that is sometimes I think we just need permission to remember that uh, Peter's a fisherman. Um, you, you know, Moses is a murderer. David's a shepherd. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. That it's, 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 sometimes it's okay just to be who God called you and made you to be, and he'll take it from there. You don't have to be anything else. Just don't, just don't put that added extra pressure on yourself. And if you want to get in this business, in, and the best piece of advice I ever got well, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was be yourself. Eventually, if you're a phony, people will find you out. Eventually. And and you and once you lose that with people, you, you really can't ever get it back. Okay? And that's where I think Trump is in danger on the DACA thing. It's not the issue betrayal. Goodness gracious, guys, if you've ever voted Republican in your life, you have been betrayed on issues. Oh, you're okay. well conditioned. Yeah, yes. I mean, yeah. That, you're, that's your default setting. You're not shocked, surprised. It, it's the, it's the, it's the out of nowhere tweeting about ESPN losing subscribers, in a clear, cynical wag the dog moment. Believing your base is so patronized and so manipulated that you can just throw out a shiny object about something that literally has no impact on their futures or their lives or their livelihoods at all in the hope that they'll totally overlook the fact that you're betraying them. That's the stuff where you alienate people. It, that, that's the stuff where you, that's the stuff that really, where, you, where people start feeling like you're a phony. Not that you changed your mind, not even that you broke a promise. If you have a good reason or two, I may, I may really disagree. But if you have a good reason or two, eventually, if there's other things about you I like, I will get over it. But man, if you pee on me and you tell me it's raining, that's what people have much less tolerance for. And I have even less than less, frankly. Um, We got to do Joey's at some point today, right? Do what? Do Joey's email. Oh, where's Joey's? Which one? Uh, Joey, uh, the one that you posted on Facebook this morning. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. Thank you. Let's mention that. This was an email I got this morning, and I and I just decided to post it because I just needed to re- be reminded again that these kinds of people exist. All right, I'm going to read it verbatim. This is from Joey Diaz, D I A S. Hey, I think you are mostly wrong whenever you talk about Trump. Three exclamation points. You focus on the negative and you spout fake news because you never mention all the good things Trump is doing. Three exclamation points. He, by the way, never mentions all the good things Trump is doing that he alludes to. Give him more time before you judge. This is not total amnesty. Again, three exclamation points. I think at the very least... Joey is a Trinitarian. This is a reform of DACA that stops the abuse of the system and only lets real dreamers benefit. Does anybody know who the fake fake dreamers are? I do not. Do you know who the fake dreamers? Do you know who those people are? Who the fake ones are? The shadow people. The shadow people. Yes. It's far less amnesty than Obama had or Hillary Clinton would have had. You should watch more InfoWars and Mark Dice. Number one, I don't know what the hell a Mark Dice is. Nellie's going, kill everybody. That's that's (laughs) Alex Jones, though. Nice drop. (laughs) Nice Alex Jones. I, I, that's, I, I'm just, I know he's probably a real person. 
I just, much like I need to believe Chris Christie really did make that McNugget run for Trump that night, I just, I need it. I need that. I need, I need to believe he's not a real person. I know that he is. I know. I know he is. Yeah, I, I, you don't have to tell me. Don't send me any more nights. I know this is a real person. I know. I just need to believe, guys, that he's not. I just do. Because if I, if I believe these people exist, and I see the number, the traffic numbers. Alex Jones' site gets massive traffic numbers. I see it. Okay, I just... If I believe that's real... I'll get angry. I am. Settles people. Oh, what a one. You won't like me when I'm <laughs> And you won't like me when I'm angry. Okay, so I'm just going to believe it's not true, guys. Can, can I have that? It would be that moment like yeah. when Captain America says, uh, Mr. Banner, don't you think it's time to get angry now? Yeah. The, I'm always angry. Yeah, this is, this is, actually it's the moment, it's the, it's the deleted scene in Winter Soldier. After he beats all those guys up in the elevator, he locks the door and and just beats him again because he can actually that's actually not a deleted scene that's just what i would do so i just i need to believe he's not real can you guys give that one can you can you can i have this one oh all the amens Thank yes you. okay and that's after all you're only mostly wrong <laughs> um mike liebenau writes i initially watched your show and thought to myself this guy is off his rocker because of your occasionally intense enthusiasm, dude, between uh, um, kibitz, kibitzing and occasionally intense youth enthusiasm. So we had the Yiddish reference of the day. Mike Liebenau comes through with the euphemism of the day. My quote, occasionally intense enthusiasm. John the Baptist had some occasionally intense enthusiasm guys occasionally intense i love that i was i was on this morning show one time and they were talking about rag ride which was the huge uh, it was this, this was in the middle of the winter which is this huge bike ride across the state of iowa and the previous year like four or five people had died uh, or had serious injuries because of dehydration and things like that and the person i was on with um was talking about some new safety measures and um she min- minced her words very much. Uh, these new measures are being taken in place after they uh, had some issues last year. <laughs> I got off and I said, people died. Did yeah. you realize that? Yeah. So yeah. that's the euphemism of the uh, of the day. Yeah. He does go on to say, though, however, after a show or two, I'm hooked. I don't ever miss an episode. I actually look forward to your occasionally intense enthusiasm now. Keep it up. Uh, gun clinging, Bible thumpingly yours is how he signs off. Oh, that's nice. From uh, Mike Liebenau. That is uh, very well done. Evan writes, progressives dominate virtually every aspect of our culture, largely due to their control of the three most vital cultural institutions. Those are Hollywood, the media, and academia. How would you rank these in terms of importance to conservatives? And where should conservatives focus first? I think that until we gain more ground in these three areas, the progressives will continue to march uh, march on in the long run. I stuck to the big three cultural institutions and left the church out simply because I consider it separate from the other three. And I know you've already brought it up in the past as well. Would love to hear your thoughts on this subject well i want all of us to touch on this subject okay evan let me answer your book like let me answer your question like i would write a book you know we all have our weird pet peeves my oldest daughter's big pet peeves and she loves to read but she hates books that have an introduction i don't know why that gets on her she's like just call it chapter one okay (laughs) 
I'm not really sure where she gets this occasionally <laughs> intense, intense enthusiasm. enthusiasm. All right, that's a that's another T-shirt we need to start selling. By the way, occasionally intense enthusiasm. All right, but if I were writing Evan, if I were going to write, because I think what you're suggesting would actually make a good book, sort of the reverse Gramsci, the conservative long march through the institutions. Right, you've got the first three, or you've got the three that are the most important. But I would put an introduction in there. Similar to when I wrote Rules for Patriots, we had to have it before we could talk about how we win. What did we have to do first, guys? Why we lose? Yeah, because if you don't, if we can't agree on why we lose, you're not going to agree, agree with my prescription on how to win, right? So we got to, that needs to be determined from the outset. That's why I would not leave the church in here because the church is the launching pad where you're going to get most of the generals and worker bees you need to pull off the, the, the cultural equivalent of, of Normandy that you're talking about. All right, that's your, that, that's, I mean, that's our Fort Campbell. That, I mean, you, know, you know what I'm trying to, I mean, that, this is where we get our soldiers from. That's our West Point. That's our Annapolis. That's our Colorado Springs. This is where we get our generals from, our, our command, our COs from. And if we don't have that right, then at best we're practicing guerrilla warfare. We're kind of a ragtag bunch of committeds up against, you know, an empire. Yeah, we can't win, but we could, we could cause some damage on the way out. But the likelihood that we're going to be the mouse that roared is pretty pretty low. So I, so I think we have to actually start there as an introduction. Because also, if you don't agree with me that if the church is not in position to export its talent into the culture, you're not going to agree with what I'm going to say after that either, Right. I mean, if you think we could, if you think we're going to get these generals and these COs and these worker bees, if you think that doesn't mean, by the way, the church has to be. I didn't say the primary institution. Is that what I said? No. No. Okay. I didn't say it was the primary. I, I didn't say it was the or the only institution. I said it was the primary one. Other institutions can t- can take part. Um, but but the moral and spiritual wherewithal it takes to sustain a long engagement is going to come from the institution that produces people with moral and spiritual fortitude in the first place. So we we have to have a church capable of launching that sort of assault. If you don't, I would suggest not launching the assault. I would suggest guerrilla warfare tactics. Let me use a Star Wars analogy. You're a ragtag group of, of, of rebel units until you can get together at Yavin 4. You cannot attack the Death Star on your own. The, the Y-Wings cannot attack the Death Star on its own. The A-Wings cannot. The X-Wings cannot. You see where I'm getting at here? Yeah. There needs to be a fleet attacking the Death Star because that's not a, that's not a small moon. All right, you, 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 you're up against a monstrosity. So if we don't have that yet, that, that's one strategy. I wrote a piece for USA Today last year after Trump won, and I made a Star Wars analogy that conservatism is now like... The, is now like the force in the light side of the force in Star Wars once the empire rises it is an exile likely inhabited in the bodies of young people that have yet to appear on the scene yet to bring to bring truth justice in the American way back and like at the end of episode three what do they do with Luke and, and, and Leia what do they do they put him into exile they put him into hiding so that they can't be found now that doesn't mean they just unilaterally surrender the empire Right. If you watch, if you watch uh, Star Wars Rebels, which is a great show on Cartoon Network, you see what's going on in the intervening years while you're waiting for Luke and Leia to show up to bring back 
the light side of the force, you're still fighting back. But but there, this is guerrilla warfare. You don't have the means by which to take any of these institutions back. So you're providing enough of a pest to hold off as much evil as you can while still trying to get some minor victories that help you recruit more talent to one day get major victories. That's why we have to start at the church because we don't really know strategically where we are until we can assess that. If the church is in, is in better shape than we thought, then you might be able to skip a, a, you know, a few steps and we, we can come together and do Yavin 4 you know, pretty soon. If the church is where we think it is, then you're looking at a different kind of a battle. You're looking at being more of an insurgent. You're looking at, okay, I'm going to try and strategically place as many people in Hollywood, the media and academia as I can, just so they can kind of be pests. They can be contrarians. They can be, well, have we thought about doing it this way, right? But they're not actually openly waging a rebellion. Because they, if, they, if they openly declared war on the system, if they're dramatically outnumbered, what would the system do? Destroy them. Yeah, kill them. Kill them. They're done. And we don't, have, we don't have the ranks to replace them. So we're trying to, we're trying, we're acting as an insurgency. We're trying to place as many people in there. You know, where does the word sabotage come from? In the 19th century, French workers who thought they were being mistreated, they were being asked to work for measly wages on the, the, at the dawn of the industrial age in these machines, on these assembly lines. They would take off their shoes, which they called sabots. These were their work shoes. They would take off their shoes called sabots and they would plunge them into the machines in order to, for, to stop the machines from working. This is where we receive the term sabotage. This is its origin. This is where it comes from. Okay? That's, that's why you got to know where the church is at. You got to know, are you, am I running a guerrilla warfare campaign, sabotage, insurgency? Or am I, do I have a rebel alliance capable of attacking the Death Star? I don't believe we know the answer to that, actually. And I think we have to assess that first. Like, I could not start off writing rules, the, command, the Ten Commandments of Political Warfare, if I had not lost. If I had not lost, I would not know what to do differently to win. I was wa- listening to an interview on Sirius XM with the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier. And he was being asked by his, about his alma mater, Florida, after they got destroyed by Michigan, and they haven't played a game since. And, and you know, Spurrier, when he was a coach, was known as a great offensive guru. And so they asked him, if you were coaching Florida right now, what would you do? And his answer was so profound, profoundly simplistic. It was like, oh, duh. He goes, well, in, in classic Steve Spurrier, Southern Twang, he's like, well, you know, if we were getting lit up like that, I would just stop doing what we were doing and try doing something different. And there was a pause from the announcer like they expected him to expand on his point. He's not the best color man in the game for nothing. <laughs> nice Major League reference. But that's the point. You know, you know, I mean, I mean, if they're stopping the run, try and pass. If they're stopping the pass, try and run. If they're stopping the run in the pass, just get the hell out of Dodge without getting anybody hurt and play next Saturday. There's nothing to do about that. You know, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, th- sometimes it's not as difficult and technical as we make it out to be. But, but we've got to assess our, you know, a, a, a king surveys his military before he sends them out to war. A good general does this. We need to do some of our own recon, some of our own self-scouting. The great John Wooden used to say in his day, he never watched film of the other team. Now, you, when you're recruiting Lou Alcindor and Bill Walton and Jamal Wilkes and Gail Goodrich, you, you don't have to watch too much film. 
But his point was, I get the best players. I scout our team. If our team is executing, you're probably not beating me. And so my focus, every minute I'm watching your team is a minute I'm not watching mine. Now, not everybody can do that, obviously, but, and I'm not saying that should be you know, a panacea for coaches today. You should do some scouting if you can. But the point is, we need to know where we stand first before we start scouting how we're going to beat them. If we don't know where we stand, guys, then we can't come up with a strategy to do what Evan is asking. You're absolutely right. So we go from here. Is that... Does that set the foundation? Now do we yes. talk about the other three plans? Yes. Because yes. You're, you're, yeah. you're of course right. It would be a mission. Sooner or later, if we did anything else, we if we're rotten on the, the inside, it's it, it ultimately is all going to be found out. I think in terms of the most important of these three, if I had to choose, I, I'm choosing based on which one you should do first to get the most bang for your buck in the culture where we are. And that's something that's already been done to some extent, and that is Hollywood. Uh, academia, that's a long march to take that back. Uh, we, we There are Christian colleges. There are Hillsdale colleges. Uh, but in terms of getting a consistent Christian conservative voice in your public universities, uh, that that's just going to take time. Uh, in terms of the media, that's you can do that quicker uh you can do things like uh steve does and you take go on the shows that uh, uh other people won't go on uh, networks have been started uh, media outlets have been started but the reason you started off i think in or media is because what steve has said is how we used to th- believe in socratic dialogue i mean reason demands we put our arguments out there no we've got we are so emotional we don't demand that of ourselves we demand the opposite but if you can corner people with a great uh, emotion we talk about the emoting that people do but emotion isn't a bad thing in and of itself it's 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 like most uh, sins it's it, it is a good thing totally broken down uh, and run amok so we need to appreciate the power of telling a of a story well told now we've done it in a very more overt way with really good movies like god's not dead uh, but we need to do increasingly stories that uh, Flannery O'Connor, a Catholic author, famous for this. She just wrote stories with faith-filled people in them. That's regular life. And it's like in Wonder Woman. It's not an overtly Christian story, but one of the most powerful me- messages is an inherently Christian message. And you've said it many times. Chris Pine, Steve uh, Trevor, mm-hmm. he makes about it's about what you believe. You know, we need those voices in regular movies, people of faith. So I, that the, the next great movement in cinema is Christian authors just writing regular movies it doesn't always have to be overt like god's not dead but we we need to keep telling those stories that are just undeniably grab people by the heart and change and you can i think you can do that one thing effectively faster than you can do the other two and you kind of have to have a mass unit sensibility so i would start there anybody want to add to that you get todd's answer well i I would go with you know once you have it set as far as preparing people to go into battle you're going to have to have simultaneous fronts. Yeah, and so I sure. can't, you know, I can't pick which one's better. I, I know that um, I'm more likely to be sent into, you know, the education sphere because that's kind of an area that I'm interested in. We homeschooled our daughters. I see what they're doing and what they're teaching. And that's, you know, so simultaneous fronts sent where you're, you know, most effective. 
What do you think, Aaron? Oh, I'm, I'm good with that. There's nothing else to add. Well, which one do you think is the most lost of those three? The hardest to recover? I, I think Education. It's, yeah. Education. See, that's, yeah. Yeah. I agree, I agree too. I would use lost as a word, as a description. I, I, think, I, think it's a, I think it's a dead letter, as you like to say, Todd. I do. Um, I, I, if, if I had to prioritize them, I, I would put Hollywood first, too. Not just because it's the most influential cultural center, but um, because it's the most influential cultural center, it gives you a head start. Because I think this is how actually you do what Kim says. Hollywood gives you the vehicle by which to fight multiple fronts at once. You have the stories to tell about what stories you want to tell in academia, what stories you want to tell in the media. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes, absolutely. It gives you the vehicle by which to touch all of the other... You can paint all the pictures. Yes. Yeah, you can paint now with a very broad brush. It's a mosaic. You don't have to do one thing at a time. You know, so that's the other reason why I would go there. And also because it's the most... It's still... The, it's the Well, of the three he asked me about, it's the only one who still has profit as a primary motive. You know, a lot of these liberal media outlets don't make money. Okay, so... And they're seemingly proud of it. And, and they're seemingly proud of it. Because they're more interested in the propaganda and the dogma. Now, Hollywood's interested in the propaganda and the dogma, too. But they understand they can't make the Cider House rules where Michael Caine's abortionist is the hero. They'd like to make that movie 30 times a year. You know what would happen if they did? No Hollywood. No Hollywood. That's why they make 15 Pixar movies that we take our kids to that use all of our uh, conservative values so that they can then turn around and make the Cider House rules or, you know, whatever they're, you know, I'm just using that as an example. It's our Trojan horse, the way you you just laid it out. I mean, we, we, it's a weapon we have. Yes. Yes. And so therefore that education is a completely regulated environment. Media is a complete propaganda-driven environment. The, so therefore, the I like working smart, not hard. The amount of time you'll have to work That's to infiltrate point, those yeah. two institutions is a lot deeper than what you'll have to do in Hollywood. You want to know the number one reason why a bunch of Hollywood studios did not follow up on the passion, despite Mel Gibson's success? Some of it's intellectual. Some of it's ideological bias, sure. But a lot of it is Mel Gibson was the vehicle that, even though he didn't star in it, he was the big, arguably the biggest star on planet Earth when he made that movie, which gave him an opening to do this on his own and create his own economy of scale. What happened in Mel Gibson's life shortly after the movie came out? It started falling it apart. It fell apart. Yeah. So the idea that his, what was, is it icon or iconography pictures? Is that the studio he, dis, he established mm-hmm. to yeah, distribute I, the movie? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That, you know, when you used to watch a superhero movie, there used to be a logo for legendary pictures before every superhero movie. Remember, you used to see that? Why? What that meant was they were the, they didn't make the movie. They came up with the financing so that Warner Brothers or Marvel could make it if they wanted to. All right, Mel Gibson had the financial means by which he cracked the code. He figured out I can take a, how to take a movie to on on the evangelical circuit and to and to Rome at the same time. No one else had even tried. He figured out how to create a, an economy of scale for for entertainment that had never been done. That's why it made the money that it made. Well, he now has the model. So if you're if you're pick a studio, Paramount. Fox, pick a major studio. You're like, you know what? We want to get in on it. Because right now, you know what they all have too? And I can just tell you, because I'm involved in this right now in my own life. They all have faith-based, um, you know, departments. Okay? Because they want to tap into this market. But they don't know us and they don't know how. 
So here comes a guy who can walk in both worlds. And I don't just even mean Hollywood and the church. I'm talking he can go to Rome and he can go to, um, you know, your mega church evangelical and he church did. and he did it with he can he can walk in multiple worlds he's he has the business model and his name is is so well known worldwide if you're a major hollywood star now you're telling me you want me to make 200 million dollars or i want to give you 200 million dollars to make a movie about the exodus or noah's flood i'm going to mel gibson to do it he knows how to do it put his name on as the director and even if he doesn't want to direct it we have his icon or iconography whatever his they're the they're the producer so he, he gets a credit all right there on the poster people walk into the theater and say, oh mel gibson made this you know and some other schmuck directed it but you just want his name on the marquee that tells me the chances i'm going to get an roi are what pretty high well he falls apart Years go by. Studios decide we still have this untapped market we want to tap into. And so they try doing this on their own. And they make dreadful movies like Exodus and Noah's Ark that flopped at the box office because they don't know the audience. They don't know what they're doing. And yeah, they're not Christians, but you know what? They're also not dumb. They're not trying to lose $300 million on Noah's Ark, guys. People freaking lost their jobs over that. Darren Aronofsky didn't make enough. He has one coming out this weekend. You've heard about this? Yes, and it's, it's going to flop too because of what the movie is. It's essentially a mocking of the nativity. No. Okay, that's essentially what it is. Why did it take a, stu- a major studio three or four years to give him the money to make another movie? Because they freaking took a bath on the last one they had him do. So, you know, the opportunity to tell that story, if we do it well... We can have much, you'll have much more of an impact influencing Ho- the other two through Hollywood than yes. you will influencing Hollywood through either of the other yes. two. That's what I'm trying to say. That makes sense? Total. That is an excellent question, Evan. One more, then we're done. Because I've been saving this one for a while and I want to get you guys' take on this. Leslie asks. I work for a large company who has been, since this summer, posting internal blogs, news items regarding accepting diversity, especially LGBT. We have a corporate location in my home state that because I'm geographically tied to that office, I get their announcements as well. We even sent people from, the company even sent people from our our own employees to protest our own Republican governor followed by uh, news blogs from a senior VP of human relations. In other words, they're really, they're pushing this stuff, okay, as a company. When diversity is forcing employees to accept the will of one specific group, it is no, it is no longer diversity in my mind. Additionally, supporting the LBGT agenda would be against my Christian beliefs. In this situation, should we, as Christians, stand against the company that employs us? Would be interested in you guys' perspective. Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Uh, so what's the question? Should she oppose her own company? Yes. What an opportunity. And it's easy for me to say, because I'm sitting here behind this microphone, and her job is on the line, but what an opportunity. That's what I would say. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, um, at least unofficially. Uh, I did it officially and unofficially as a 12-year employee of the Des Moines Register. I mean, I... in a ultimately i mean a lot of people lost their jobs that were uh not uh, christians or conservatives so that 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 wasn't my exclusive undoing but it certainly uh didn't help nonetheless uh, i took every opportunity i could you know unofficially with the the conversations i had the way i pushed back because yeah this uh, this has to be this is your moment i mean you can't you don't just get to tailor pick which moments you have to fight you gotta hey gandalf you gotta live in the moment you have um officially you have to be 
tactical about those in terms of you know when when the missive is put out you know do you write an official letter of couple of things like well you it doesn't it doesn't there's a cost benefit analysis to what you can do in those situations so i'm not saying don't pick that fight i'm just saying be smart about when and if you can make a difference in that one but in terms of the conversations you have even with your boss uh you, you know it's a uh, that doesn't have to be uber official to just say hey can you let me in on the thinking on this because this seems to be in my mind the opposite of diversity absolutely well, and of course, you can take that opportunity, you know, such a time as this, to explain actually what true diversity is. And so it is an opportunity for you, um, you know, to, you know, CYA with some of your documents and, and some of your letters to your employers. But, you know, for you to expand, <laughs> to lay down some knowledge, this is your time. And when, when you do this, be, you mentioned the term documentation, be ruthless and don't, don't just make it rhetorical. You have a yes. case that they that makes them like do the thing where the the Jehovah's Witness at the door just like blink at you something in the tracks because they love the they'll, they'll rhetoric rhetoric be rhetorical with you all day long but if you can just document the case uh, that is really helpful. Well, this is something I have some experience with, both when I was at the Des Moines Register and then also in um, what I do for a living now. And here's the first, all of you had really good advice, so I'm not gonna repeat what you guys just said because I agree with almost all of it. I'm not saying almost all of it because I disagree with any of it, just in case I think of something I disagree with later, I don't wanna have to, you know, fix, um, that. fix that. But um, here's the first thing I do think though. We have to have step one, okay? Make sure you're a damn good employee. This is key. Be excellent. And the reason why you wanna be excellent is because when you take your stand, you want to be Kim Davis. Meaning, the whole world knows the only reason they did this to you is because of whom you worship and love. And so therefore, they are without excuse. Because that's when the heat is searing. That's when they can't handle it. And that's when, that's when suddenly they just decide... Kim Davis, you can go free. Go back to work. Because they can't handle it. Don't go to Alcatraz. I've said this to so many of my fellow believers in your position, sister. Don't go to Alcatraz for tax evasion. Go to Alcatraz for the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. If you know your Al Capone history. Earn. Earn that corporal punishment. Earn it. Okay? Don't go down for a technicality. Make sure, before you take your stand, make sure the days and weeks leading up to it, you're at work on time. You're low maintenance as you can possibly be within the job itself. When I, when I, when I worked at radio station, when I worked at my last radio station, WHO, because I knew what I was going to do on the air was going to make a lot of people's life, including in our own sales department, difficult, off the air, man, I did everything they ever asked of me, and, and I was happy to do it. I felt like that was, frankly, my obligation to my teammates. If they were going to put up with, you know, the, the drama I'm going to cause for them, because I did get big ratings, but I got some big drama too. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to make their jobs tougher in some areas, I, it, there's, a, there's a contract here. We're part of the same team. I need to compensate for it by making it easier in others. Man, every time they needed me to cut a commercial, 
I stopped whatever I was doing and I did it. If they needed me to recut one, anytime I needed to meet with a client to help them finish to sell it, to close it, I did it every time. No questions asked. I did everything they ever asked of me because I knew I owed it to them because I was asking a lot of them for the freedom that I wanted to say what I thought needed to be said. Likewise, be a damned good employee. Be the best one you can be. Be excellent. So that your testimony, they have nothing on you other than we, we're just the people of Romans 1 and we don't want to hear it. Because if, then when that happens, then you become something even more than a man, Bruce Wayne. A legend. That's when they can't touch you when you're a symbol. They can't tarnish a symbol. They can't kill a symbol. They can't martyr a symbol. That's where you end up with a better job than the one you have right now. Maybe doing something totally different, but it's because you're a household name. You see what I'm trying to say? Do all the stuff that Kim, Aaron, and Todd have talked about, but there's a step we must take first. Be excellent. Don't be a mediocre employee and then decide, this is my Waterloo. Because they're going to send you to Alcatraz on tax evasion, man. So be excellent at your job. Is that okay to say that? Yes, absolutely. And I think this goes, you know... um, a, a friend of mine who used to run the Iowa, Nebraska, NAACP here in our state and the neighboring state. Now, this ties into a, 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 a story he once gave me. He said, you know, when I was a young kid, if I knocked on a white girl's door and I asked her, and the reason, he, by the way, he doesn't run it anymore is because, I should tell you, because it actually fits into this conversation. You know why he's the former head of the Iowa, Nebraska, NAACP? Because he's a minister of the gospel and when they tried to tell him that civil rights now meant that he had to forego his own religious convictions and line up with the LGBT at the NAACP, he said no. And the board voted him out and gave him a choice, be fired or resign. That's why he's the former chairman. So it actually ties into this whole conversation now that I think about it. But he, he said to me once, when I, was a, when I was younger, if I'd have gone and knocked on a white girl's door for prom night, her daddy had been like, oh, hell no, over my dead body. But if her little brother in, her, in his bedroom had a picture of Dr. J or Wilt Chamberlain in full fro as a, as a framed poster on the wall, her daddy was fine with that. And he said, I never could, I could try to figure, how is that possible? So I can't take your daughter to prom, but your son can literally worship someone with my skin color. And he figured it out. See, the dad didn't see Dr. J and Wilt Chamberlain, even in full glorious Fletch-like fro, didn't see them as black or the other word, didn't see him that way. You know, he saw him as excellent basketball players. Their excellence transcended the prejudicial differences. And he said, this is something he, has, he, he, this is something he's tried to instill in the young men and women at his predominantly black church for the, for the next few decades. Mm-hmm. Excellence will transcend prejudicial differences. Sammy Davis Jr., the reason why, the reason why he got to do, he got to do, um, you know, open mic night in Birmingham, Alabama, while while you know George Wallace is saying segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. You know why? Dude was damn funny, made us laugh, and and. That, that girl, if I told her, if I asked her out because we're going to Sammy Davis, if I said, hey, do you want to go get a pizza? She's going to say no. But if I say, you want to go with me to go see Sammy Davis Jr. in the Rat Pack, what's she going to say, Todd? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what time are yeah, you picking right, me yeah, up? Yes. I'm there. Can't go fast enough. That's exact. See what I'm, the, he taught his people that excellence transcended prejudicial differences. 
And he said, now he's, and then he said this to me, he goes, as I'm older now, we're gonna have to teach this lesson to our Christians. We're now going, he goes, I'm gonna be, I'm about to be a, a, a marginalized minority for the second time in my life. First it was for being black. Now it's gonna be for Jesus, <laughs> all right? We're, he said, so y'all, you white folks in the church are gonna to have to learn, we black folks learned many, many decades ago. You're now gonna be treated with instant suspicion. You're not getting the benefit of the doubt anymore because you won't sign on with Caesar and Nero's agenda. So the only way you're gonna get away with that is be excellent at what you do. You just described that great, great, great scene in the Jackie Robinson movie 42 when Jackie Robinson is just getting called every name in boot and book and Pee Wee Reese comes over to him, puts his arm around and Jackie Robinson, what are you doing? And he says, just, just watch. He said, I, I just want to see, I just want to make sure everybody remembers this uh, moment and saw me putting my arm around you uh this 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 baseball player and he did it because i I want them to know that i saw how excellent you were it's Mm -hmm. just it it epitomizes everything you just said Wee reese was so overtaken by excellence it was it was that uh, that saint peter mode i could do no other i had to embrace this and there's no way that I mean it's why Jackie Robinson was picked in the first place. He, he not only was he a great baseball player, he was a Hall of Fame football track. I believe he played basketball as well. I mean, he was um, a four yeah. four varsity four letter yeah. or four varsity right. letter athlete yes. at UCLA. But beyond that, yep. excellent human being. That's going to do it for the podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Don't forget promo code DACE at CRTV.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you. Oh.